This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 61. I'm Ryan Wilson. That guy you heard giggling, that grown man giggling, Rick Spielman. And today, we're going to take a look at 10 young NFL players heading into make or break years, play well and get paid. Build to look those lofty pre-draft expectations the next spring. We could be talking about them needing a fresh start to jumpstart a once-promising career. So the list includes six first-rounders, Rick, including two former top 10 picks, and nine of these players, because Rick failed to follow instructions, are hoping to cash in on big second contracts. Spoiler alert, Alexander Madison already has a second contract. He'll be looking for number three, uh, but they'll need to ball out in 2023 to get that opportunity. But before we jump into today's show, in case you missed it, Rick, on Monday's show, we looked at Pete Prisco's top 100 players list through the NFL draft lens, focusing on some of the young players who made the cut, looking ahead to which rookies we can expect on the list next summer. And you can check that out in the podcast feed. And coming up next week, this is going to be fun, Rick. You take a historical look at those young quarterbacks who went from average to outstanding in their first few seasons and which QBs are poised to make that jump in 2023. All right. Do us a favor, too, Rick, by the way. Yes. Take, take a second right now. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see if you can pull this off. Hit the thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube and you can find us at NFL on CBS. It really helps promote the pod uh, to those folks who might not otherwise know we exist. And if that isn't reason enough, hit the thumbs up to honor Rick celebrating his anniversary, which was yesterday. Rick, how has your wife managed to stay married to you? I'm going to guess 28 years. Nope. Uh, uh, 36. We Holy yesterday Crap. you got married so, when you're 24 uh yeah yeah wow. we got married right out of college so i figured if i had one uh i better not let it go <laughs> i should say it because that will get me kicked out 36 years that is 36 years so yeah i've still she still gives me one year contracts <laughs> <laughs> god bless that woman yeah man but th- yeah, thirty six uh, th- is a pretty big number. That's huge. That's uh, that's you've been married longer than Debo has been alive. Yeah, and and the other thing too is I was very excited to present her with okay. my Paramount Plus subscription. Yet I still How'd it, go? it didn't go good. I gave her a card and I was going to write in, and with our anniversary, we received a Paramount Plus for a year. Uh, and I cannot figure out how to sign in to get the Paramount Plus. I still am struggling with that to the nth degree. I think it's a conspiracy, but uh, we can try to work through this. It's been about a month, so I'm I'm hoping before the subscription ends, I can actually have it. Enjoy for a few minutes. 
<laughs> well, I have more great news for you, Rick. And I, I called you yesterday, but you refused to answer because you were in the golf course winning money, as you told me and Debo. But I texted Debo yesterday afternoon, and I said, Debo, you won't believe this. It took me 27 seconds to log Rick into his Paramount Plus account, which is now active. So now the real hurdle is trying to get him. You're going to have to FaceTime me, I'm pretty sure, so I can hook up the television for you. So it's active. It's ready to go. I don't want to say it's user error, but let's just move on. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a very frustrating summer for me ever since I've won my Paramount Plus after grueling. <laughs> Grueling. Yeah, we just, we just want to be clear for anyone considering signing up for, for Paramount Plus. It's the easiest thing in the world. It literally <laughs> is the easiest thing in the world. And uh, I can look Except up Debo's. For someone for over 30 years have had help uh, and assistance. Uh, yeah, and so right. The one, the one exception is if you are a general manager and have over 30 years of interval experience and are used to people taking care of all the administrative things. It might be a struggle for you, in which case I encourage you to tweet me and I will help you set it up in 27 seconds or less guaranteed. <laughs> all right, let's move on because this is already, you can tell Debo's getting fired up. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, thumbs up to celebrate Rick's anniversary and to help spread the word on the pod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts and Spotify and to quote B Mac and Pat P on all things covered. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the pod. All right, let's get to it. We got 10 players, five each, Rick. Young players, Debo's specific instructions were four years or less. You ignored those instructions uh, for one How of these players. Sam Hattis, or Alexander Madison been in the lake? You drafted him, you tell me. Four years? This will be year five. <laughs> so we have okay, five so players. Been in four years. That All right. Has we'll let, been. That's we'll let the, you in on a technicality. Again, the emails on the rules of engagement for these podcasts are yeah. very unclear. Just like me trying to sign on to Paramount Plus. Very I was going to say, there, a pattern starting to emerge. I don't know if you see that pattern. <laughs> it's a very yeah. one-sided one pattern. Yeah, Debo. Oh, it's Debo. I see. Always Debo. Can you imagine where this podcast would be if Debo were producing? Sweet mercy left. All right. Five players each. Make or break four-ish years or less in the league. And what does make or break mean for these guys? So what has to happen in your mind, Rick? And you have history, plenty of history of players who you drafted, had certain expectations for, and you knew maybe they weren't going to excel in year one, maybe even to year two. And then they start to catch fire in year three and year four of the contract year. So what's the progression you want to see in a young player, for example? And then what are you expecting out of some of these players who are going to talk about what you want to see in this season as a lot of them are playing for big contracts? Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of interesting guys and uh, a lot of young guys that uh, were considered, you know, even uh, generational type talents that haven't lived up to that coming out uh, in the draft. So, but when you're sitting there in a general manager seat, you're waiting and year three is usually the tell all whether he is or isn't going to be a player. Now, some of these guys are coming off major injuries or have had durability issues, which we'll get into a little later. But a lot of these guys, and you saw the 2020 draft, how many guys did not get that option exercise in the fifth year? So that tells you where the team feels about them. We saw it last year with Daniel Jones, and then he ended up turning that into a pretty, pretty good contract for him. Uh, so it doesn't mean if you didn't exercise that fifth-year option that they're total busts. But these guys that did not get their fifth-year option exercise really have a uh, have a lot to prove this year. All right. Well, let's start with the second overall pick in the 2020 draft. He's the first guy on your list, 24 years old, Chase Young, 
seven and a half sacks, four fuss, four forced fumbles in 15 games as a rookie. And uh, those numbers get your attention when defensive rookie of the year. Then he tore his ACL, just one and a half sacks in 11 games the past two years. You mentioned the lack of fifth year option for some of these guys. Chase Young falls into that category. There were some rumors, and I don't know that there's anything more than that on the old internet machine there that, um, the Steelers were interested in trading for Chase Young the last few weeks. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but the point is that uh, if you uh, get your fifth-year option picked up and if you're playing like a former second-round, second overall pick, there's no conversations of trading players in general. And as Debo notes, 12 out of the 32 first-rounders in 2020, including Chase Young, uh, or excuse me, not including Chase Young, did get their fifth-year options picked up. So the 20 of these guys did not. So Chase Young, what do you want to see from him? Yeah, that's less than half of those yeah. guys that were picked uh, did not get their fifth-year option exercise. But in Chase, you know, I went back. Uh, he was defensive rookie of the year. I went back and actually looked at my college report on him. Oh, nice. What do you got? Um, and I thought he was going to be a generational-type talent as a pass rusher, and he also was very strong. Freak athlete, freak size. So I said that he is more physically gifted than when I did the Boza brothers coming out. Of wow. Ohio. I was going to ask you because obviously the Boza brothers were big time coming to Ohio state and athletically, I don't think it's crazy to say that Chase Young was more imposing in college. That and his size and, and, and had similar type production. And I thought he played just as hard, but then, you know, he fell off his sophomore year, what do you want to call it? Sophomore slump. He only, uh, been in, you know, towards ACL last year, or I think is, uh, in this sophomore year, and second then, season, uh, yep. Second season, and did not play until the last three games last year. So I went back and looked at those three games from last year: the uh, 49ers, uh, the Browns, and the Cowboys were the three games he played in at the end of the season. And the difference I saw: uh, they slowly built up his reps. You know, I think it was like thirty some reps uh, against the 49ers in his first game back, and slowly built them up, but. You're still seeing the strength. You're still seeing the power. You're still seeing the explosiveness off the snap. Uh, everything that you saw in college, what you didn't see and what you're hoping to see this year is the change of direction. So guys usually coming off ACLs, the first thing that really comes back is them going straight forward. But for them to break down and to change direction or to bend, that's something that I didn't see that I saw through his college career and even his first year when he won defensive rookie of the year. So I think that'll get better going into this season. If he can get that, uh, then I think that he's going to make a lot of money. Either he's going to get franchised or he's going to go out on the open market. But I don't know with the commander situation with who's going to be the new ownership, you know, what's the financial commitment going to be to players uh, is there going to be a new regime there or not? So there's a lot of question marks, not only on Chase Young, but also on that franchise as well. But he did play extremely hard. You, you saw the effort, energy he played with in college. You saw that at the end of last season. Now the question is, can he get back to where he can bend like he was able to bend in college? And if he can do that, I think he's going to have a really a, a, a breakout type year. Yeah, a couple things. Debo notes that um, Chase played in 65% of the snaps uh, in the games he was in last year. Number one, you talk about the straight line speed. One of the first things to come, come back when you tear your ACL, and I think a large part of that is because it doesn't take any 
you're not clearing any mental hurdles to run in a straight line, but you do get concerned when you start moving laterally and that's what your ACL is meant to help uh, in terms of helping you bend and, and you don't want to re injure it. And I think a lot of times what happens when these players tear the ACLs and they'll tell you this, and sometimes it takes a year after the surgery to feel closer to hundred percent. So I was Saquon Barkley uh, on some level, he was much better last year than the year before. So, uh, we'll see what that means for for Chase Young, but uh, I'm I think, Adrian Peterson. He came back uh, guns a blazing after about seven eight months. Yeah, but his- remember, your buddy Eric Sugarman, who was the director of medicine at, at Minnesota with you, said he'd never seen anything like it. He was such a freak athlete. That was he was the literally the exception, not the not the, the uh, not the rule. To the rule. Yes. Yeah, and I appreciate the. Uh, all the medical and psychological advice that you gave on this podcast. And yeah. I respect your, all your degrees that you have that I do not it. know about. So thank you for that. Well, I don't know if you know that, you know this, I tore my ACL. So yeah. Cause I told hidden hooker, we had the same, we shared something in common. So well, I, I, I know what it takes for you. Like you had three heads. Like there's nothing in common between you <laughs> and hidden hooker. Hey, so, listen, too you high- are, we have to work on your pre interview presentation to the players because it was it was god awful listen two high level athletes having a conversation about acls is not abnormal <laughs> you should know that <laughs> oh, we got two a lot division of one athletes <laughs> two division one athletes yeah rick take that i forgot about that thanks debo <laughs> i forgot that <laughs> oh uh, let me ask you this rick so Whew. 2023 and this is uh chase young's rookie deal all this guaranteed so he's he's making five million base. It doesn't matter because his whole salary is guaranteed. But I'm looking at SpotTrack.com, which does a lot with with salary caps, and it even does some calculated market value. And this isn't the you know the end all be all, but it's a starting point. And they came up with what do you think about average salary on Chase's next deal? Seventeen point eight million a year. That's in line with a little less than what Max Crosby makes, uh, a little more than what Dreamon Jones makes. Sort of in that ballpark. Does that sound about right, or is he, is he going to make more than that if he has a good year? If he has a good year and he has double-digit sacks and you've seen what he saw in his what everyone saw in his rookie year, he's going to be one of the – because he's young and because if he shows that he is fully healthy off that ACL. And when he played last year on the tape, his right knee, he had a big black knee brace on that. So if he's able to play without that knee brace – uh, next year and show what he, he'll make way more than that. He'll be one of the top paid pass rushers in the league, in my opinion. And I don't want to upset your little medical ears here, but that knee brace actually serves as sort of a crutch. And I think players play typically, not offensive linemen, but skill position players, edge rushers, ath- athletes play a little freer when they don't have to wear a knee brace. Um, you don't take my word for it. Ask Sugarman. I think he would agree with me. All right, let's go to your next player. Also 24 years old. Also in the news recently because he's going to wear his Super Bowl ring for the Chiefs on his middle finger as a one-finger salute to his former team, the Giants. If I understand that correctly. And that is, of course, Kadarius Tony, former first-round pick. Did not see eye to eye with the previous regime in New York. Got traded to Kansas City. Played sparingly, but when he was on the field, he was electric. And it feels like he's not going to replace Tyreek Hill, but he feels like he fits into that Andy Reid offense and what they like to do with explosive players down the field. 20th overall pick in 2021. No touchdowns in 12 games with the Giants. 3-7 and with the Chiefs, because that's how he rolls. Touchdown and 77 punt return yards in the Super Bowl. Big part of of, uh, getting the Chiefs across the finish line there. And... Matt Nagy, 
former coach of the Bears, who's now back on staff with the Chiefs, set up Tony. He comes over halfway through the season. It's a whole new offense. He's got to learn the ins and outs. And so you have that point, and he was able to do that. And it's exciting now for us to be able to take that to year two and building that relationship with Patrick Mahomes. He's super talented with the football in his hands, and he's been that way his entire football career. So, Rick, I'll ask you, what does year two look like for Tony in terms of expectations in this Andy Reid slash Patrick Mahomes offense? Yeah, first of all, uh, just going back to when he came out of Florida, he was one of the most explosive athletes I've seen with the ball in his hand. I thought that he was getting better as a receiver. I thought he would develop more than just a gadget guy on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but he had he was a little bit of a one-year wonder coming out of Florida, too. He had that big year. Uh, were there maturity concerns? Because I had heard there were not, nothing there terrible. but maturity concerns and yeah. – I believe he was involved in the music business and uh that's right recall was it more important the music business or football to him gotcha um but he didn't uh had a lot of durability issues in the giants never panned out so when you a player goes to a team during the season it's very difficult not only one to learn the playbook uh because they're probably going to just give you x amount of plays to learn just so you can master those plays uh and then see what he does, and he should have a full load of understanding that offense and a better relationship with Patrick Mahomes as far as them. Patrick Mahomes understanding how he makes his cuts, when he makes his cuts, um, all that timing that comes along with it. So does he have – is he Tyreek Hill? No. Is he more explosive than Hardman? In my opinion, yes. He's a better receiver than Hardman is. So – but – He's going to have to be their number one option, in my opinion. They have uh, Valdez Scantling, who's a deep threat, but just so kind of a one-trick pony. Sky Moore has to step up in the slot. Uh, they also drafted Rasheed Rice, who I think is more of a possession guy than a legit deep threat. So he's going to get the opportunity to show that he is a number one receiver. Now they got Kelsey, I understand, at the tight end, but as the number one receiver, he's going to have every opportunity to prove that. And even when he got to Kansas City, I believe he uh, his best game it was in Week 10 where he had four catches for 57 yards. Uh, but he also missed uh, Weeks 12 and 14 with an injury. Right. So he has to show, one, that he is durable enough to play 17 games. And, two, there's no question if he has the ball in his hands how explosive of a playmaker it can be. And three, can he get in the rhythm with that offense? And I think with the offseason, if he takes it serious and and makes it the number one priority in his life, he will definitely have an opportunity to be the number one receiver in Kansas City. Yeah, and that's a big selling point, whether you're the front office of Kansas City or Kadarius' agent in terms of second contract. You're playing with Patrick Mahomes. It's set up for you to have success. Just show up and do what you're supposed to do. And we saw glimpses of that last year. And I look forward to him wearing that uh, Super Bowl ring on his middle finger when he faces the Giants. I'm sure that'll go over awesomely. All right, next player, Austin Jackson, offensive tackle out of USC. 18th overall pick in 2020. And he was the the main component in that Minka Fitzpatrick trade when Minka went to the Steelers. 28 starts in his first two seasons, limited to just two games in 2022. Dolphins have signed Isaiah Wynn and Cedric Abwehi this offseason. And you guys were down there. At Dolphins camp, you and Pete Prisco talked to Jalen Ramsey on camera. 
Uh, you talked about the uh, the way Tua had, had looked to, to thicken up lower body wise, and he, he needs to get a little stronger to take some, absorb some of those hits. But the big issue, of course, is the offensive line. What does Austin Jackson need to do to, to sort of turn that corner as he ends the the nears the end of his his rookie campaign contract? Yeah, I don't know if you recall when he came out of USC, he was the left tackle. Uh, I think he had athletic skills to play left tackle, uh, but he was pretty raw from a raw. standpoint. Yep. Um, you know, he had the great story about the bone marrow, uh, saving his sister, I believe with a bone. So kids, an outstanding kid, uh, just recalling from when he came out, you know, he started at left tackle his rookie year, I believe and played in about 15 games and started 12. Then in 21, he struggled that, that rookie year at left tackle. So they moved him inside. He played 13 games at guard and three games out at left tackle out of necessity. Uh, but I thought he even was worse as a guard just because mm. you know, I think he's never played that. Uh, things happen a lot quicker when you move inside. So then last year they moved him back out to right tackle. He only played two games before he had ankle injuries. He went on IR, came off IR, and went back on IR again. So, Debo, I know you're the crackpot research guy, but pick for the uh, Fitzpatrick pick. Uh, that they traded, uh, that they got when they traded him to the Steelers. Yeah. So that hasn't turned out very well as of yet. So. No. And I want to ask you this. So 18th overall pick and the previous tackle taken in that draft was Tristan Wirfs at 13. The Buccaneers, if I recall correctly, traded at one spot to get him. Two spots ahead of Tristan Wirfs with Makai Becton. Just ahead of Makai Becton, Jedrick Wills got drafted. And then fourth overall, Andrew Thomas. And then we come down to Austin Jackson, who ends up being the fifth tackle taken. The next tackle is Isaiah Wilson, taken by the Titans at the end of the first round. That clearly didn't work out for off-field issues. Uh, you talked about that he he had the ability. It's just a matter of not being able to keep his head in, in football. But so you draft someone 18th. Does this, in retrospect, not at the time, but in retrospect, does this feel like a reach because they needed it and it didn't work out? Because it feels weird to say that the 18th overall pick who played left tackle in college can't do it at the NFL at a high level, struggles inside, and your points about why he struggled inside are, are, are good ones. I mean, just doesn't mean you can do it just because someone says move inside. And then he continues to struggle. What, what are you thinking, I guess, when you look back on this draft pick? Yeah, no, you're you're probably hoping that, like I said, I don't believe they exercised his fifth-year option either. Was that the – No, they didn't. Yeah, right. So he has to have a big year because right now uh, there are a lot of questions on him if what, he's going to be a first-round bust. Um, you know, I've had some first-round busts. Everybody has had them. But, <clears throat> it, you know, when you have those, you have to understand that either right now it's a make-or-break year for him going with the theme that Debo sent us and – the whole key to Miami having success this year is that offensive line and keeping Tua upright and letting Tua make sure that you can get the ball to the playmakers and they're going to be much better on defense. So this is going to be a critical year, not only for Miami, but for him as well. And I think he'll be a critical piece of that success uh, if he does have a good year. But I have, I don't have as much question on uh, Chase Young as I do on uh, Austin Jackson. Sure. And he's 24 years old in just a couple months, so he's still pretty young. Again, going back to Spot Track's calculated market value, which is not the end all be all, but just sort of a, a, a guidepost. At, after his contract expires, 
they say he could be in line for something like $10.5 million a year, and that's as a marginal starter, maybe a backup, and that's in the same category as Taylor Moten, Braden Smith, Rob Havenstein, who make between 17 and 11, so a little less than that. 10.6 for a, a, a middling starter along the offensive line. Does that sound about right? Yeah, unless he ends up being a role kind of swing tackle if he doesn't step up, which, you know, if he gets that kind of deal, if I were him, I would take it in a heartbeat. Yeah, okay. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit Rick's two other make-or-break players heading into 2023. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Rick. Three down, two to go. And let's head to Tampa Bay by way of Arizona State. Rashad White running back, 24 years old. The 91st pick in the 2022 draft. Rookie season, 129 rush yards. Uh, 129 rushes, excuse me, 481 yards. Only 3.7 yards per carry, but that's not necessarily all on White, who's a, a pretty electric player. Had one touchdown, 50 receptions, which is uh, pretty important to what the, the Bucks want to do with Baker Mayfield now for 290 yards and two receiving touchdowns. So this felt not like a weird one, but an interesting one because the running back situation in Tampa – White's uh, top of the depth chart as we sit here in the middle of June. Chase Edmonds, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, Sean Tucker, my guy out of um, Syracuse, who went undrafted, is also on the roster trying to make the football team. Why do you have a shot on this team? Because it's going to be critical for the, the for Tampa Bay to have success on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, he's going to have to have a big year. And, you know, he split time uh, with Fournette last year. I thought second half of the year he was better than Fournette. You got an opportunity to start to see what he can potentially bring to this offense. You know, the 50 catches, well, they were such a dink and dunk offense last year that he showed that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. His breakout game uh, was in Munich when uh, they played, uh, who the heck did, oh, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, where he showed that, yeah, he can be the workhorse type back. But without Tom Brady, with a new offensive coordinator coming in, with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, you don't want Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. They don't have a lot of depth, in my opinion, behind him. So he's going to have to step up. He's going to have to show that he can be the bell cow of that offense. And if he's able to live up to those expectations, I think he's going to have a breakout year. I'm looking at some of the running backs drafted after him. And Tyrion Davis-Price, I thought, was drafted too high by the 49ers. He hasn't yet worked out. Brian Robinson uh, went to Washington. He battled with injury because, you know, he was shot, clearly. It wasn't his fault. Damian Pierce came, went after him a few picks, which is an interesting one. But I feel like a, a, of the the group that followed him, Tyler Algiers also on that list. Rashad White is, um, as you mentioned, had a really good season. I, I think he's probably one of the the rawer, if you will, the more raw running backs. So he's still sort of learning the position, I feel like. Um any concerns about him running a little too upright because he's so so big, or, or he showed that he could? I, I think he's just big, and he can be a complete three-down back. Okay, back. So I think that um, you saw him improve through the year last year. 
Um, but I think he has more than enough talent to be able to be the bell cow. And he's going to have to be because right. after him, they don't have much at running back. And your guy, Sean Tucker from Syracuse, was not practicing down there, still coming off that injury. Yeah. So there's not some great. durability concerns there. But Chase Edmonds is not the answer as a bell cow. Uh, he, he'll be a good guy to maybe throw in there to give him a break. But uh, everything is set up for him next year down in Tampa. Uh, and especially with Canales, a new offensive coordinator who was in Seattle for all those years, and how they ran the ball uh, very efficiently and effectively, um, this is definitely going to be a opportunity for him to step up and be one of the uh, top running backs in the league. All right. Let's go to your final player in a make-or-break season, a young man you drafted, Alexander Madison. He's 25, so we'll give you the we'll let we'll get let you slip on the four four and a half years. Just uh, 102nd pick in 2019 draft. He's got 1,600 career rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, averaging over four yards per carry, 70 receptions, and that sounds like a lot. But then you think about last year when we just talked about Rashad White had 50 in one year. But he has the ability to catch the ball coming to the backfield, three receiving touchdowns. Last season, though, Rick, was the least productive season of his career. The Vikings have now moved on from Dalvin Cook. So what's the plan for Madison in this offense, and what does he need to do? Yeah, well, he's going to get an opportunity to be the uh, the bell cow for them. They got uh, Ty Chandler, I think. They drafted McBride from UAB. They yep. got Kinney, uh, who's more of a kickoff returner but also has excellent speed. But he's the most talented running back on that roster. And he's always played second fiddle to Dalvin Cook just because of Dalvin Cook's explosiveness and playmaking ability. But now he's going to get an opportunity to be the guy. And uh, so this will be a big year for him. They gave him a two-year extension, which really doesn't count to me, although it counts in Debo's world and why I violated apparently the rules. Does it count in the bank account? Yeah, well, no, it was two years, and it was about seven million. Most of it was guaranteed, but that to me, that's just a you know a, a prove it type deal for him to come in and show that he can be the lead back. But he's big, he's physical, he's powerful. He can make some explosive plays. He's not nearly as explosive as Dalvin Cook. Phenomenal kid, uh, great work ethic. So I'm excited to see what he does uh, when he gets the opportunity to be the number one guy in the backfield. Yeah, so Kirk Cousins' final year of his deal. They drafted Jordan Addison, the wide receiver of Pitt and USC. Obviously, Justin Jefferson, we've talked about him in recent weeks about how he's going to be, in Rick's mind, perhaps the highest-paid non-quarterback in the league, and and rightfully so. So the, the pieces are in place for this offense. Uh, they have a new de- defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, who came over from the Steelers by the way of Miami. So there are a lot of things to be excited about in Minnesota in a division that's that's wide open. And as we sit here, the at least the last time I checked, the Lions are among the favorites to win it, which is – Wild time to be alive, Rick. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll look at my five players who are in make or break seasons heading into 2023. All right. Let's get to getting. So this guy, my comp for him coming out was Anquan Bolden. I'm talking about LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado. He's 24 years old. Really? Rick's, make, Rick's making a face because he hates all my comps. Who is your comp for LaVisca Chenault? <laughs> Let's start there. Oh, my God. He, he was more, uh, to me, in a gadget type than an Antoine Bolton type. I, maybe the size, yeah. but I thought he was more of a gadget type guy coming out because they played him in the backfield. They you did line him up everywhere. Everywhere. Well, Bolton he was the only player they had. Right. Bolton <laughs> was a great blocker and a great 
great, end up being a really good receiver in the NFL, but they didn't line Bolden up at all the different places they that they lined him up at at Colorado. So where did Bolden go to school again? Did he go to Arizona? No, where did Bolden go? Oh, remember. he went to Florida State. Florida State. Sorry, my bad. My bad, BMAC. Yeah, but they didn't need to in those Florida State teams. Colorado, as history has proven, is a terrible football program. We'll see if if Coach Prime can fix that. But um, the size, yes, the speed. Actually, Lavisca was a little faster than Anquan. Anquan ran really slow, but played faster than that. But fair enough. He did line up all over the place. Yeah, uh, what is I your, don't know how you make that comparison. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you this. We're going to work on comparisons. And as we get going on the 2024 draft, which I've already started, I know you have, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. that uh, we will talk about comparisons so <laughs> you don't uh, – <laughs> we can get a little you know better in that area. I don't know if you've liked any of my comps in the in the not 10 months we've been To be honest with you, did not like one. Who was your comp for Levisca Chenault? Let's start there then, smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to make comps. I was a general manager then. <laughs> <laughs> that was a scout's job. Okay. So 42nd overall pick. He did run a four, five, eight uh at the combine. Bolton ran a four seven one, if you're curious. Um <laughs> what's that? I, I, I'm sorry. I'm still getting over the shock of that comparison, but oh, go sorry. ahead. I've said much more shocking things than that. Just my goodness. Um, but 42nd overall pick, there were some over the course of the fall, there was some first round buzz. He battled some injuries, fell to 42, didn't really work out uh, at his first stop. Uh, in 2022, he's trade to Carolina, had 27 receptions for 272 yards and a touchdown. Ran the ball nine times. Ta- speaking of that versatility, you were talking about there, Rick. Forced missed uh, 15 missed tackles on just 27 catches last year. And Frank Reich, the new coach in Carolina, who has the benefit of a, a new quarterback in Bryce Young, said Lavisca has been one of those guys out here that's looked good. We'll continue to investigate the different roles he can play. Again, talking about his versatility. Obviously, even if we can uh, have this grandiose plan, which we maybe we do, but I, w- I wouldn't tell you about it here. And then he mentioned some Debo Samuel sort of versatility. You want to laugh at Frank Reich? Or are you okay with that? No, I'm better with that oh, than geez, with your comparison. <laughs> because he is. He is an athlete with the ball in his hand. I believe he did some even returns coming out of college. Uh, it was the only player um, that I can recall that we had a Zoom interview with that actually did it uh, from his bed when he just woke Get up. Get out of here. Yeah, it was Was funny. he laying down? He, he sat up. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. All right. That's better then. Maybe he was just like stuck in a room or something. If he was laying down, that would be something else. Okay. So I'm looking at this depth chart here and there's opportunities for sure. So they have Terrace Marshall Jr. at LSU. Uh, DJ Shark, excuse me. I was like, who is that? DJ Shark they have. Adam Thielen, uh, who you signed in Minnesota and had such a great career for the Vikings. Jonathan Mingo, who they drafted, um, who is another versatile player. In fact, they might be vying for the same sort no. of. No, you don't think so. No, I Why think not? Mingo is a a better just receiver. I think Chanel can bring you more versatility as an athlete. They line Mingo up a lot of places too at Ole Miss. Yeah, but they they to me it's two different uh, flavors. So okay. Shai I don't Smith think is- Mingo can line up as a running back. I think they you know Chanel. That actually has been used some as a running yeah. back. He was an H-back, but yeah, fair enough. Okay, so what is that? I mean, there's no guarantee he makes the team, I would I would think. No, right? everybody's got to. No, he's still, you know, because he was traded from Jacksonville 
uh, to Carolina. Um, and no guarantees on anything, but he's another one that has to go out and have a prove it year. And I don't think he'll ever be a number one receiver, but yeah. I think he has a spot on a roster to be whatever that gadget guy or the guy you get him on jet sweeps, guy you get the ball in his hands on quick screens, because I do believe that he is talented once he has the ball in his hands, but he is not a pure receiver in my opinion. So a Cordero Patterson role, if you will, not Cordell Patterson, but that sort of role in an offense. Correct. Oh, look at that. Hit the button. Ryan, I'm going to throw it back for some pick six listeners. And this time last year, you were on the podcast, but I bet Will Brinson, either of us would have to shave our head. I said LaVisca Chenault would be out of the league by the start of this year. Oh, Brinson could have had a nice little win. Uh, seemingly, you know, he's got to make the roster, but I offered to shave my head. Um, I didn't see the future for LaVisca Chenault. I know we got a lot of feedback on that on, on pick six last year. And he, oh, yeah. he comes up again this year on with the first pick. There we go. I'm not shaving my head, Debo. Our oh, <laughs> best dollars to the day is long, but uh, not shaving this head. Rick would rather lose an arm than lose that beautiful head of hair. <laughs> Disrespectful to ball people, but whatever, Rick, you do you. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> All right, I let's not get that same uh, speech from my wife. You just do you. You just yeah. do you. Yeah, that's why she's with you because of that hair. If you were bald like me, you'd have been dumped years ago. So. You better be thanking Jesus that you that you're. I'm assuming that hair is real. I don't know. <laughs> All right, my next player went to the same school as Debo, KJ Hamler, wide receiver uh, for the Broncos, 46 overall pick, sort of in the similar boat as Lavisca Schnall, completely different type of player, but in terms of needing to show up because the Broncos year two with Russ Wilson, new head coach obviously in Sean Payton, they went out and drafted Marvin Mims, who fills a similar role as KJ Hamler in that offense, presumably out of Oklahoma. Have Cortland Sutton, have Tim Patrick coming off the ACL. Marquez Cal- uh, Callaway is on the roster as well. And it just hasn't worked out in large part because of injuries. And currently, KJ is dealing with a torn pec. He's out four to six months. He had the surgery in March, so that's a concern. Hopefully, he's ready to go by the time training camp gets here. What are you laughing at? No, I wasn't. I was coughing. I don't have a cough button. Oh, you don't have a cough button. Okay. Um, <laughs> Debo put this note here and I read this yesterday. I thought it was interesting. He moved into Tim Patrick's basement this offseason. So make it that what you will. Hopefully, you stay focused on football. Only 23 games played in three years. 2022, only seven games, seven catches for 165 yards. Incredibly explosive in college at Penn State. And it just hasn't translated primarily because of injuries. And is one of the takeaways, is this just unlucky, Rick, or is this one of the concerns when you draft smaller wide receivers? A little bit of concern when you have smaller wide receivers, but uh, he didn't have any durability concerns. I don't recall uh, no. when he came out of Penn State. He was very explosive uh, as a playmaker at Penn State, and the speed definitely showed up because everybody thought you also were going to get some return ability out of him as well. I didn't think he was as explosive as when uh, Dotson came out. Right. Uh, cause I try to make those two comparisons, but he had that type of big playability, just not as natural catching the ball as Dotson was when he came out. Yeah. Both out of Penn state and J- Dotson, um, has been able to for avoid sure. injury and been a little bit more effective for sure. Pairing with, um, scary Terry 
in Washington. Also, Jerry Judy's on this roster, of course. He's got a, a, something to prove, but he's certainly been much more productive than KJ, primarily because he's been able to stay on the field here. So I'm looking at the wide receivers drafted in, in this draft class, the 2020 draft class. Um, you can skip one of them. Oh, is that Jalen Rager? Yeah. Yeah, it is Jalen Rager. <laughs> and I'm looking at, uh, what are we looking at here? Uh, I had like um, percentage. Oh, here we go. So LaVisa Chenault has played in 47% of the snaps in his NFL career. KJ Hamler's only played in 25% of his snaps. And the only players below him, Quentin Cephas, who's a part-time player, John Hightower, who's a late-round pick, Lynn Bowden, who didn't work out as I think he was a late-day-two pick, and Isaiah Hodgins, again, not a not a high pick. So th- the injuries are, without doubt, uh, a concern, and it's got to get sorted, man. And I don't know if it's going to with this torn pack that he's going to be out four to six months. And he heard, him, he heard it working out on his own. It wasn't like, you know, TJ Watt tore his pack trying to make a tackle. This is just him lifting weights or whatever. All right, next player. And this is a curious one because he has played a lot, and he's, at, he's been productive in, uh, on some degree. Isaiah Simmons drafted a, a linebacker slash hybrid, and now he's moving to defensive back. Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach, said when Isaiah was coming out of Clemson, he liked his versatility and his ability to play perhaps deeper. And maybe we see more of that in Arizona now. He's 24 years old, number eight overall pick in 2020. He's played in 50 games, has seven and a half sacks, four interceptions, 16 pass breakups, seven forced fumbles. I mean, all those numbers you can certainly get behind. Um, played 48% of his snaps last year at cornerback or safety. So he's maybe easing into that transition uh, of defensive back full time. Fifth year option was turned down. Uh, as Debo notes, and one of the things that I, I noticed when I was looking at his his stats, he struggled a lot with um, giving up huge plays. He gave up nine touchdowns uh, in coverage. And look, I don't, I haven't seen all nine touchdowns. I'm just looking at the stat sheet here, so it may not be all his fault. But those are incredibly high, and at least on paper, are concerning to some degree. How hard is it, Rick, to go from? First of all, his first year in Arizona, it was hard to find a role for him, so he felt like a fish out of water, got a little more comfortable. But how hard is the transition from one position, linebacker-ish, to another position playing defensive back? Yeah, well, that's uh, not too many people can do go from linebacker to corner. I mean, I never heard of that before. (laughs) (laughs) You could have done it when you were running the four sixes. Yeah, no, uh, I, I know my limitations, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he is a unique athlete, uh, but there was some question on his C to do or his instincts as a linebacker. Uh, but there was no questions ab- about his athleticism and being able to play multiple positions. I thought he was going to be, if they put him at one position and, and they played him similar to Derwin James, the way yes, right. the chargers play Derwin James. So he's just kind of like been a man without a home. So it'll be interesting to see what Jonathan Gannon does uh, with him on that defense. And if they do put him in one spot and see if he can succeed or fail. But the more times you keep moving these guys around, it just gives them less and less of a chance to be successful. I think a success in terms of productivity and play style, maybe a, a Kyle Duggar type. Kyle Duggar doesn't play cornerback, but he's sort of a jack of all trades. But again, Chen, if you're trying to pigeonhole Isaiah Sin. And type, you Who? know, those. Jeremy Chin? Yeah, right. So yeah. if you put him in some type of role like that, to me, that would be his best position to see if he can succeed or fail. 
Um, Let me ask you this. So he's number eight overall pick. Duggar and Chin were second round picks. Athletically, I think Duggar and Simmons probably aren't far off. Maybe testing wise at the combine or something, there's a difference. But on, on tape, Duggar did go to Division II school, I think. So that I get oh, that. Ryan. What's that? Yeah, Lenore Ryan. That's right. So is is that the difference? Like the 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 level of play for both Chin and Duggar? Because athletically they feel like they're in the same bucket, as we like to say. Yeah, Chin went to Southern Illinois. So who went there? Uh, <laughs> Rick Spielman, baby. <laughs> so, but those are those hybrid type players that back in the day they may have been the strong safety types to play right. close to the line of scrimmage, but they're more athletic because they can run. So defensive coordinators have a way or seem to find a way to scheme these guys, uh, whether they're covering a tight end, whether you know, they're playing some kind of nickel back sometimes or a dime linebacker. And I think they just have to find a home for Simmons in order for him to have a chance and to play a role like uh, Duggar plays up in New England and even Chin plays in Carolina. It feels like Simmons, if he were playing for Bill Belichick, would be you'd be able to unlock his potential. And that's just based on history. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen. And again, looking at the spot track, calculated market value next year, they have Simmons earning in the neighborhood of 16 million a year that feels awfully rich so let's say he has a yeah go (laughs) i would sign that deal in a heartbeat if you got 16 million a year for but you wouldn't offer that deal no right okay yeah and the comparisons are are to linebackers which perhaps because they when this came out they didn't know he was moving so maybe that that goes down a little bit when you look at the safeties because he's he's in the same neighborhood salary wise as tremaine edwards for example who who's now making 18 million a year I think Tremaine's in the, in the Chicago, right? He went to the Bears? Yeah, yeah, he signed with the Bears. All right, so Isaiah Simmons has actually done some good things. Just needs to be consistency, and part of that consistency is finding a home position-wise, so hopefully Jonathan Gannon can unlock that. My next player, again, he just can't get over the injury bug, and he was a lot of fun to watch at Virginia Tech. Caleb Farley, the, the cornerback, he's just 24 years old. But someone said something coming out of the draft. I think he had back issues coming out. Rarely is it the case that back issues get better. Like, you can – Pull your hamstring, your hamstring heals. You can have your ACL fixed. I had my ACL fixed, Rick. That's why I can yeah, talk it. Yeah, you and uh, about it. have a lot in common. A lot in common with him and Hooker. But Caleb Farley has been bitten by the injury bug time and time again. He's torn his ACL uh, once he got into the league. Um, played 12 games in two years. He was first-round pick. He went one pick before Darisaw, so he helped you get the guy that you wanted. And we talked about Darisaw uh, on last on the last podcast. So if you want to hear about how Rick was sweating bullets, waiting for Christian Darisaw to, to land in his lap after trading down, I can't believe he traded down. It worked out for you though. Uh, had back issues entering the draft. He still struggled with those struggled with the ACL didn't play in 2020 after opting out because of the pandemic. And um, he's finally started to work out again. And this feels like a, uh man. And, you know, we talked about Isaiah Wilson earlier. Titans have had a run of first round picks that haven't worked out for various reasons. And part of that maybe is why John Robinson, the, the Titans' former general manager, was fired in the middle of the season. That's a the timing was weird, but who knows? Is, is there any hope for Farley to finally have a bit of luck and, and start to play like the guy we saw? Yeah, I don't know because uh, his injury history in college was pretty significant. Yeah, uh, he was a former quarterback in high school, actually, that came in as a receiver. Then I think he tore his ACL. His first time out there, receiver was redshirted, then moved to corner. Uh, there was everybody 
thought that he was a very good athlete, excellent length, thought that uh, best impressed man was not very good, in my opinion, in off coverage when he came out. But then in 2020, he opted out. I think his mother, if I, uh, from my research, uh, passed away from breast cancer in 2018. I think that's right. Well, yep. he wanted to, you know, his reasoning was because we also talked with him that, you know, I want to make sure they protected his father uh, hmm. from getting COVID or anything. So then he goes and he has the same durability issues that he had in college. So when you look at guys like this, you understand the physical traits, the size and the speed, everything is there. But we relied a lot on our medical staff to determine whether we want to take a risk on this player, especially with a back injury. And I can't recall whether we had him on our board or off our board, but I know he was a concern. Uh, and usually guys that are hurt in college all the time, that usually carries over to the NFL. Yeah. Of all the cornerbacks drafted in that class, Caleb Farley has played 9% of defensive snaps. The player playing the most defensive snaps out of that class, Patrick Sertan, first-round pick, has played 90% of his snaps. Uh, Patrick Sertan has six interceptions. Caleb has zero. Zero passes defended. Patrick Sertan has 24. And But you can go down the list, not just first-round picks. Tyson Campbell is a second-round pick. He's near the top in terms of, of snaps played. Paulson Adebo, who also opted out out of Stanford, uh, he's played 74% of the snaps. For the Saints, Asante Samuel Jr., also a second-round pick. So it goes on and on. And the, the, the difference between all those players, of course, is they've been able to stay certainly healthier than Caleb Farley. And again, it's not a, a hamstring injury. It's a back injury that sort of precipitated this. And, and then going down the back injury road, it's hard to find examples of players who have bounced back from back injuries and had successful long NFL careers. So this is definitely a make-or-break year for Caleb Farley. Fingers crossed he stays healthy uh, because that team obviously, um, honestly needs him to play um, have a good season because of the, the defense at times is struggle. Finally, my last guy, Rick, and we've talked about him a lot in part because of injuries and in part because of issues with his weight left tackle, Makai Becton, former first round pick. He is 24 years old. He was the 11th overall pick for the jets in 2020. He missed all of 2022 with an avulsion fracture, played just one game in 2021. And that, that ain't getting it done. Like when you draft a guy 11th overall, who has weight concerns, and then the injury bug bites them, and you desperately need him to protect your quarterback. Sam Darnold can attest that the beating that poor man took, uh, he could use Mekhi Becton out there. So, look, he's looking better, but we say that about everyone this time of year. He's going to be penciled into the starting lineup, you hope, and Aaron Rodgers would like to have him out there. I'll ask you, can you trust that he'll be ready to go after the last two years and the weight concerns, or are you – just sort of keeping your eye on other options at that position. Well, this was one of the guys that I struggled with when he came out um, of Louisville. I remember watching him the year before he came out, and he was an open side tackle, which means that he played on the left side and the right side. He always protected. Uh, he was always basically didn't have a tight end next to him uh, when he came out of uh, Louisville. And the year before, I thought he was average as grits, in my opinion. <laughs> the year before he came out. The, the year before he came out, uh, heavy, overweight. And then I went down to watch him play live. I can't recall who I went to to, to see him play, but um, he looked a lot thinner 
looked like he got himself in shape, uh, moved a lot better, was more dominant. But uh, you always have a question on, is he a one-year wonder or not? And to me, he was a one-year wonder when we brought it up in draft meetings. On uh, Yeah, there's no question about the size and the athleticism and the unique length. Uh, but why hasn't he done it through his whole career? So when you look at these guys coming out, that's and we talk about it all the time. And uh, when we're talking about the guys coming out in the draft, why are they just doing it for one year? Why have they been productive through their career? A la Hyatt from Tennessee this oh, year, gosh. the receiver that we had plenty of discussions on. So there was no question about the athleticism, the size. It was can he manage the weight? And does he truly have passion for the game? And that was one of the concerns that I had uh, when he came out. And you know the reason why I had extra concerns? Why? He opted out of Louisville's bowl game. Oh, my gosh. We haven't, we haven't been down that road in a while. <laughs> opt out. That got your attention. That got our attention, yes. So Dwayne Brown is penciled in right now as a left tackle. He's a little, he's, he's a little older. Uh, Lakin Tomlinson's the left guard. Joe Tittman, who they drafted out of Wisconsin, is penciled in the starting center, and he'll have an opportunity to certainly win that job. Elijah Barrett Tucker, who we've talked about before in terms of the Christian Darisaw draft, uh, he was a, a great pick, and, and he, when healthy, has been really good. And then Makai at right tackle. Billy Turner's the backup along with Yadni Kajus, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. If you're the Jets, and they've changed coaching staff and, and front office, I think, since Makai. Joe Douglas may be drafted Mackay. I can't remember. But let me ask you, if you're looking at the draft board and you say, all right, we took Mackay 11th overall, and then two picks later, the Buccaneers took Tristan Wirfs. If you're doing self-scouting, how are you approaching why did we take Mackay over Tristan? Yeah, we always used to do uh, uh, AARs, after-action reviews, which is a military term. And if we <laughs> did miss on a uh, pick, we would go back and really – take a deep dive into why we missed them. Was it something we just didn't see on tape? Was it something in a psychological testing? Was it something in the intelligence scores? What was it that made us miss that player? And we always try to, I spent more time on guys that we missed than that, that, that we hit on because I wanted to try to make sure that we didn't make the same mistake. Right. So in, in this situation, I would go back. Why did we take Makai over Tristan Orfs. And, and Tristan was a little raw coming out, right? Who? Tristan was a little raw coming out, I think. He was a great athlete. Yeah, but he was a right tackle. Yeah. Uh, Makai, everybody was projecting him at left, but I yep. thought Orfs was going to be athletic enough to play left tackle. And then we'll find out this year. Yeah. Went down to minicamp and just watched him move around at left tackle where they have him penciled in as a starter right now that I don't have any doubt that he's going to make that transition pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, you hate to say what if, but Tristan Wirf solves a lot of problems on this offensive line if you take him over Makai Becton. But I get it. You see Makai, you see how big he is, and see he's he's a pretty good athlete too for his size. But the weight was a concern, and obviously the injury history. So hopefully, fingers crossed, like Caleb Farley, he can stay healthy. What's that? And the opt out of the bowl. Oh, that's right. And he he didn't. Uh, the ball was rolled out there, and he decided to sit on the bench and eat a hot dog. Like uh, <laughs> who's the tight end? That the hot dog that got you all fired up? Oh. Now they just enjoy the uh, interviewing on the sideline while their brothers are out there oh, battling gosh. their ends off to win another game. Who is that? Who's the tight end from Notre Dame that got drafted by the Raiders? I can't remember his name now. Mayor. Oh, you, Mayor, you, Michael Mayer. Yeah, that's who you're fired about. 
man, your recall is getting a little concerning. You know what happens? Like after the draft is over, I just flush it and I'm looking forward. So it takes me a while to, to get the recall. That's what I have you on here for. You're the you're uh, the computer. Yeah. Who can't use that? By the way, Joe Douglas started uh, joined the Jets in 2019, so he did in fact draft Makai Becton. And maybe he's had that conversation about why did we take Makai over Tristan and uh, for some AAR. <laughs> and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Rick trying to do the high five. You if you're if you need a little pick me up, just watch YouTube. Uh, 54 minute mark. You can see Rick giving you a high five to help get you through your day. And, I can't uh, find the camera. <laughs> you can't find the camera, which is troubling. But hey, whatever. It's Rick. You're a Rick. You're a gif now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rick. I, I figure I was a gift to, to everybody. That's not. I'm not a gift. Oh, listen, we got, we're a little early here. Do you you want to tell us a quick dad joke before we get out of here? Or are you all done? No, I'm done. I oh. uh, I I am still very distraught over the um, Paramount Plus and not being able to provide that as an anniversary gift. So I had to actually scramble to go get flowers on the way back from my golf match and a card because I couldn't present a Paramount Plus surprise to her last night. You can wrote it on a card and give it to her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next year. Uh, maybe next right. year. Rick, when you get your when you get a moment, just give me a call and I'll get your Paramount Plus set up. Uh, set aside four hours. It'll be like the, the electrician showing up. I'll, between Thank 12 you. and 4. You got it. <laughs> All right. That's it for episode 61. Remember, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe to the old podcast. Leave a five-star review. Thanks, as always, to my guy, Rick. Happy anniversary. Thanks to Debo for producing. Thanks to all you out there who watch and listen. Have a good weekend, and we'll see you back here Monday morning.